At the NDB, we have committed to it in our strategy. For the period from 2022 to 2026, NDB has to lend 30% in local currency, and so 30% of our loan book will be financed in the currencies of our member countries. The new multipolar world order is growing more and more by the day. This March and April were very historic months. We saw many developments happen very quickly, especially in terms of de-dollarization, with more and more countries in the global south challenging the hegemony of the U.S. dollar. Now, at the heart of this project is the BRICS. That's Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa. This is a an economic and political block of developing countries, many of which were formerly colonized. And together, they have around one-third of global GDP when measured by purchasing power parity. So that's about one-third of the size of the entire global economy. And the BRICS has been talking about developing a new global reserve currency to challenge the dollar. The discussions to create the BRICS go back to 2006, and it was officially founded in 2009. But there are also other institutions that make up the overall BRICS block. And one of those is the so-called BRICS Bank, the official name of which is the New Development Bank, or NDB. This was created as a global South-oriented alternative to the World Bank, which is dominated by the United States. The U.S. is the only country that has veto power in the World Bank. And the World Bank, along with the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, Those were created at the Bretton Woods Conference in 1944 with the U.S. essentially controlling them and using them as geopolitical weapons. If a country in the global south wants to take a loan to build an infrastructure project, usually the World Bank, it will force that country to implement structural adjustment, which is a nice way of saying neoliberal policies, including cutting the minimum wage and in general reducing the work, the power of workers in the economy, reducing the labor share of net income and putting it more toward the profit share for big corporations. They will be forced to privatize state-owned companies. They will be forced to cut any subsidies they have for poor people or for food or for energy. Basically, any social programs that help poor and working people will have to be cut. The government will be forced to impose austerity. And this has led many governments in the global south to, to criticize the World Bank and also the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, which is also related and it's dominated by the U.S. So the BRICS developed its alternative, the New Development Bank. And this March, the NDB appointed a new president of the New Development Bank, Dilma Rousseff. She is the former president of Brazil from the left-wing Workers' Party. She governed from 2011 until 2016 when she was overthrown in a political coup, a parliamentary coup backed by the United States. And this April, Dilma Rousseff did an interview with Chinese media in which she discussed her plans for the New Development Bank. And among those plans is The BRICS Bank is trying to gradually move away from the U.S. dollar and instead going to give out loans more and more in local currencies of the members of the New Development Bank itself. This is yet another example of 
the move toward de-dollarization around the world, challenging the dominance of the U.S. dollar in the international financial system. At the same time, it is necessary to find ways to avoid foreign exchange risk and other issues such as being dependent on a single currency such as the U.S. dollar. The good news is that we are seeing many countries choosing to trade using their own currencies. China and Brazil, for instance, are agreeing to exchange with RMB and the Brazilian real. At the NDB, we have committed to it in our strategy. For the period from 2022 to 2026, NDB has to lend 30% in local currency, and so 30% of our loan book will be financed in the currencies of our member countries. That will be extremely important to help our countries avoid exchange rate risks and shortage in finance that hinder long-term investments. I have a report about this over at geopoliticaleconomy.com. I will link to it in the description below, and you can find links to all of the sources that I'll be discussing today. Now, in this interview, Dilma Rousseff pointed out that this March, China and Brazil signed a historic agreement in which they said they're going to be trying to trade with each other in their local currencies, the Brazilian real and the Chinese renminbi. The renminbi is the official name and the yuan is the most used unit of account of the currency. So this is a way for China and Brazil, which are huge countries with massive economies, to de-dollarize their trade. Now, we have to understand that the vast majority of loans made around the world are made in U.S. dollars. Very frequently, if a country in the global south needs to take out a loan to build a port or build a highway or build hospitals or build an airport, usually for infrastructure projects, you need to get access to capital, right? And the idea is that the country will invest in that infrastructure and it will bring returns. The The economy will grow and as the economy grows, the government will have more tax revenue and more income and they can use that to pay off the loan. That's the idea, if the country actually is going to develop. But what actually happens frequently with the U.S.-dominated World Bank and the IMF is that it actually, these institutions trap countries in the global south in debt and force them to just hemorrhage more and more dollars in order to pay off their dollar-denominated debt. So instead of developing those countries, it underdevelops and de-develops them. This is a textbook example of a debt trap And in fact, the consultant John Perkins, who consulted for the World Bank and the IMF and similar institutions, he explained in his famous book, Confessions of an Economic Hitman, that these institutions are essentially neo-colonial institutions. They act on behalf of Western imperialist governments and on behalf of their corporations, and they essentially impose these unpayable debts on the global south and trap them in debt so foreign corporations can buy up their assets for pennies on the dollar and exploit their labor and decrease their wages. Dilma Rousseff revealed that in the five years between 2022 and 2026, the New Development Bank has pledged that at least 30%, so nearly one-third of the loans that it gives out, are going to be denominated in local currencies of the members of the bank. 
Now, this is very important because many countries in the global south have trouble getting access to U.S. dollars to pay off their debt. And what that means is that frequently they end up having to exchange their own currency on foreign exchange markets, selling their currency to buy dollars. And what that does is it weakens their currency more and more against the dollar and fuels things like inflation. Argentina is a classic example of this. For decades, Argentina has been trapped in what is essentially unpayable debt, odious debt owed to vulture funds, to Western bondholders, and also owed to the IMF. The IMF gave Argentina the largest loan in history at over $50 billion, even though it knew that Argentina already had economic problems and likely could not pay it off. And because Argentina constantly has to use the dollars in its foreign exchange reserves and its central bank to service that dollar-denominated debt, the country is constantly running out of dollars. And when it exchanges its local currency, the Argentine peso on the foreign exchange market to try to get access to dollars to service its debt, it leads to hyperinflation, which is exactly what we've seen in Argentina. So the idea of the BRICS bank is they want to move gradually toward eventually lending exclusively in other currencies because the members of the bank are not the United States, and only the United States can print dollars, and yet countries around the world need dollars to pay for imports, usually, especially energy, although that is changing as well. The petrodollar system is shifting, and other countries are now buying and selling oil and gas in other currencies. But the point is that the dollar is still by far the most used global currency, and this really hurts countries in the South. What is unique about the New Development Bank is it's actually bigger than the BRICS block itself. Other members of the NDB include Egypt, recently joined, Bangladesh, one of the most populous countries on Earth, and also the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, and Uruguay in South America is also currently in the process of joining the New Development Bank, and many other countries have expressed interest in joining as well. Of course, the official members of the BRICS right now are Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. Originally, they were formed in 2009 as the BRIC, B-R-I-C, and then in 2010, South Africa joined. And by the way, the current Brazilian president, Lula da Silva, is the only leader of the BRICS founders who was president when the countries founded BRICS itself. India's government at that time was ruled by the center-left Indian National Congress Party, and Russia actually was not ruled by Putin at that moment. It was ruled by Medvedev. So Lula, who's now in his third term as president, he was one of the co-founders of the BRICS. It was one of his ideas and the, one of the ideas of his foreign minister. And he is now really trying to expand the BRICS and make it a more important bloc. Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, has revealed that around two dozen countries want to join the expanded BRICS plus bloc. And according to Russian media, TASS, he, he said in February that the, the countries that want to join the BRICS bloc include Egypt, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, the United Arab Emirates, Indonesia, Argentina, Mexico, and a number of African nations. It's also been reported that Iran and Algeria have applied to join, and Argentina has already applied to join. So very likely, the BRICS bloc is going to be expanding very soon. Now, this definitely is not the first time that the BRICS has discussed 
challenging the dominance of the US dollar. I did a separate report back in January that I'll link to in the description below that looked at reports that South Africa revealed that BRICS is trying to develop a new global reserve currency. South Africa's foreign minister, Naleli Pandor, revealed that they're, quote, working to develop a fairer system of monetary exchange, and the goal is to weaken the, quote, dominance of the dollar. She said, quote, we have always been concerned by the fact that there is a dominance of the dollar and that we need to look at alternative systems. The systems currently in place tend to privilege very wealthy countries and tend to be really a challenge for countries such as ourselves, which have to make payments in dollars, which costs much more in terms of our various currencies. So I do think a fairer system has to be developed, and it's something we're discussing with the BRICS ministers in the economic sector discussions. Now, if and when the BRICS pulls this off, this will make it very difficult for the United States and Europe to impose sanctions on countries like they already do to nations all around the world to try to starve their economies and essentially overthrow their governments. That's the goal of sanctions. And another important factor is the strength of the U.S. dollar against these other currencies in developing nations in the global south. Now, the United States, the Federal Reserve, the central bank of the U.S., has been constantly raising interest rates over the past year in order to drop wages in, in, of U.S. workers. The chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, said very clearly his goal is to get wages down. Publicly, he claims that the goal is to fight consumer price index inflation. But by doing, in order to do that, the Federal Reserve wants to cut wages for workers and increase unemployment. And so create an arbitrary recession. And in order to do that, it's increasing interest rates quite aggressively. And as the U.S. does that, it makes it more expensive for countries to borrow in dollars. It reduces the money supply. And that means that the U.S. dollar has significantly increased in value against other currencies in the global south, which makes it even harder for those countries in the global south to get access to dollars. They have to export more and more and more. And usually for formerly colonized countries in the global south, there's a kind of neo-colonial trade relationship. So the advanced imperialist countries in the core, the capitalist nations, they sell their advanced technology that have very high value added. And then from the global south in the periphery, usually many of these countries have to export raw materials and low value added commodities. So they have to produce way more and they get much less for what they're exporting. And now, as the value of the dollar increases, in order to get more and more dollars, they have to keep exporting. And this has led so many countries to say, why do we have this ridiculous neo-colonialist system that continues to oppress us and destroy the living standards of our workers? As the value of the U.S. dollar increases, and as our workers, the value of their because there are local workers are paid in their local currency, the value of their wages decreases against the dollar, which makes it more and more expensive for them to pay for things like phones and TVs and imported goods. So this is leading to countries to say, instead, we should try trading with other currencies. Also, for larger context, the president of Brazil, Lula da Silva, visited China this April and signed a series of historic agreements 
And among those was that China and Brazil are going to try to drop the dollar in their trade and trade with their local currencies. I have a much longer episode about that that I'll link to in the description below. When Lula visited Shanghai in China, that he also visited the headquarters of the New Development Bank. He was actually the first head of state to visit the NDB headquarters. And he attended the swearing-in ceremony for Dilma Rousseff. In his comments at the NDB, Lula said, quote, the New Development Bank is the product of a partnership among BRICS countries with a view to creating a world with less poverty, less inequality, and more sustainability. He added that the New Development Bank seeks to achieve a better world without poverty or hunger. Similarly, Dilma Rousseff, the new president of the NDB, she said, quote, as a former president of Brazil, I know the importance of the work of multilateral banks to support developing countries, particularly the NDB, in addressing their economic, social, and environmental needs. Becoming the president of the NDB is undoubtedly a great opportunity to do more for the BRICS, the emerging markets, and developing countries. So their speeches made it very clear that the BRICS is really the bank of the global south. It is a direct challenge to the U.S.-dominated World Bank. Furthermore, in the speech that Dilma Rousseff gave to the Chinese media outlet CGTN, she talked about the three main goals of the New Development Bank. One is it wants to fund sustainable development to help combat climate change. And the countries of the global south largely are the ones suffering the greatest consequences because of climate change, which was caused by the imperialist capitalist countries in the global north. So that's the first goal. The second goal is social inclusion. So that is fighting poverty and inequality. And the third goal, she said, is funding critical infrastructure projects. And specifically, she named ports, roads, airports, and important, very importantly, also is high quality transportation and high speed railroads, which is not something that even exists in the United States. But China is the world's leading expert on high speed rail. Dilma Rousseff also pointed out in this interview that at the moment right now in the world, there's a lot of financial instability and consumer price index inflation is rising. And in response to that, really led by the U.S. Central Bank, the Federal Reserve, a lot of central banks around the, the world are raising their interest rates, which is arbitrarily basically going to cause a recession. And in response to that, to this more restrictive monetary policy, it becomes more and more expensive for countries in the global south to take loans if they want to engage in development projects and build infrastructure. So Dilma said that the NDB hopes to counter that. It hopes to be counter cyclical. And in this moment of rising inflation and corresponding increases in interest rates and a potential recession, hopefully the BRICS bank can provide support for the global south. Finally, before I conclude today, I want to briefly look at a very interesting interview that the Chinese media outlet, The Global Times, did with a top foreign policy advisor for Brazil's President Lula. And it he openly discussed how China and Brazil are building a multipolar world, or excuse me, building a more multipolar world, which is acknowledging that we're already in a multipolar world. It's not going to come. It's already here. We've been in it for years now. And China and Russia and the BRICS are making it even more multipolar. So in this interview with Global Times, 
the top foreign policy advisor to Lula, Celso Amorim, said that seek a multipolar world in which power is less centralized and there is no hegemony. That's a clear reference to the United States. And he and Amorim, Lula's foreign policy advisor, pointed out that, yes, Lula did visit the United States in February. However, he said the trip was strictly political and the discussion was not as broad as in this visit to China. I should point out that when Lula visited China, he went for four days. When he went to the United States, he only went for one day. And when Lula went to China, he signed 15 comprehensive agreements covering all major areas. Whereas when Lula went to the United States, he didn't sign any agreements. Furthermore, in this meeting between Lula and China's President Xi, she pointed out that China and Brazil are the two biggest developing countries and emerging markets in the Eastern and Western hemispheres. As comprehensive strategic partners, Brazil and China share extensive common interests. China has the world's largest economy when you measure its economy using purchasing power parity, which is the most accurate metric. And Brazil has the eighth most, the eighth biggest economy in the world, bigger than that of France and Britain. And China is the second most populous country on earth after India, and Brazil is the seventh most populous country. So this relationship is very important. In this interview, Lula's foreign policy advisor said that Brazil and China are coming closer together. He said Brazil is looking into potentially joining the Belt and Road Initiative, although he pointed out that China has already been collaborating with Brazil to develop infrastructure, and they're working together to make satellites and explore space. So even if Brazil is not technically not a member yet of the Belt and Road Initiative, they still are basically doing the same thing that it, they would be. And he pointed out that there has been a lot of pressure on Brazil to abandon its relationship with Chinese tech companies like Huawei. And in fact, when Lula visited China, he went to the research center of Huawei, which was clearly a message to the United States. And he gave us a comment saying that we will have whatever relationship we want with China. No one can tell us what our relationship will be like with China, which was a message to the U.S. The U.S. has imposed sanctions on Huawei and tried to destroy Chinese tech competition. But instead, Lula's foreign policy advisor, Amorim, is saying that Technology has no ideology. We will continue to have this technological relationship with whoever we want. He said cooperating with Huawei is a possibility that they're looking into. Then he also mentioned that China and Brazil are doing trading with each other and they're thinking about creating a common currency for the BRICS and for the South, the global South in general. And Amorim in this interview said, quote, I think it's natural that we can do our trade in our own currencies, and this requires some adaptations in relations to the rules of the IMF. So acknowledging this U.S.-dominated institution, he continued, quote, So now if we can work with a basket of currencies and use our own currencies to a large extent, that's the best thing. And they're talking about whether or not to make a common currency in the BRICS. He said, it's very important that we are free from the dominance of one single currency because sometimes it is used politically. And then he acknowledged that 
Brazil was trying to do trade with Iran, which is under illegal Western unilateral sanctions. And because of that, it's been very difficult because usually if trade is done, it's done in dollars and the U.S. sanctions block Brazil from doing trade with Iran in dollars. And finally, the interview concludes with a quote from Celso Amarim, Lula's foreign policy advisor, who says, quote, China is our most important trading partner by far. And by the way, Brazil exports three times as much to China as it exports to the United States. And Lula's foreign policy advisor, Amorim, said, quote, the two countries can have an important role in building a more multipolar world in which power is less centralized and there is no hegemony. So those are just a few examples of the widely expanding multipolar economic architecture that we're seeing around the world with the decline of not only U.S. hegemony, but also European neocolonial hegemony. For hundreds of years going back to the late 1400s, European colonial powers tried to control the entire world, colonizing many countries around the world. And today we're seeing a historic fundamental shift and countries in the global south that were colonized for hundreds of years. They had political independence in the 50s and 60s and 70s with the national liberation struggles. But now, finally, we're seeing more and more economic independence from Western neocolonialism. In the description below, I will link to the article over at geopoliticaleconomy.com that has all of the sources that I discussed in this episode today. I'm Ben Norton, editor of Geopolitical Economy Report. If you want to support the work that we do here, please consider going to geopoliticaleconomy.com slash support, or you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash geopoliticaleconomy. We have no big sponsors, no institutional support, so anything that you could provide would go a long way. And if you're watching, please subscribe. If you're listening on a podcast platform, please subscribe. It helps with the algorithm, which is constantly repressing independent alternative media. I want to thank everyone for your attention, and I'll be back very soon with more analysis and original reporting.